This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. So this morning as we read our Bible, we're going to take some time. We're going to look at what the Word of God says. And uh, yeah, you're along for the ride. So go with me if you have a Bible to Romans chapter 12. We're going to go there in just a second. And uh, just before we turn there, I just want to highlight tonight again, the drive-in service where we're doing a worship night is going to be incredible. So I believe there's still a few spots left. If you haven't registered, just go right now. You're already on your online browser. Just go and register for that event. It's going to be a great night. We're believing that God is going to do some big stuff and unlock some things in our church and in our city. We're believing that God is going to do miracles tonight and break chains tonight, and you do not want to miss it. So if you're already registered, stir up your expectancy, stir up your faith, and get ready for a great night. Okay, Romans 12, we're going to read it this morning in the New Living Translation. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And look at this in verse 2. It keeps going. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Another way to say it in the, uh, in the NIV, and I just love this in verse 1, the language here. So I'm just going to read it in the NIV, but the NLT is, is saying the same thing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. This morning, I want to talk to you about the idea of worship. And I want to title this message, Watch the Throne. So if you're taking notes, Watch the Throne is what I'm calling this. Let's pray before we get going and just believe God to speak to us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that whenever we open it, you are speaking to us, that you want to get our attention in more than just a passing way, but you want to grab our attention so that you can show us how to live, how to function properly, how to have a good and abundant life. And so, Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, I pray that my words would fall to the floor, but that your words would take root in people's hearts and cause it to flourish. God, that you would bring forward good things from people's lives this morning as we gather around your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, just curious this morning, uh, as we start, I just want to ask the question, like, where are my millennials at who need to help their parents with technology? And you know what I'm talking about already. I'm sure that there are people there going, oh, yes, there have been many times trying to connect to a mail server. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not that technologically sound, but I'm part of a generation that has been raised on technology. So there are certain things that I just get. And it's always funny to me to kind of have some of these conversations with my parents. And mom and dad, if you're watching, I, I love you. I'm not making fun of you. It's just your generation. It's not your fault. But I remember this one time, I found this app on my phone, and it, it tells you how much gasoline is at certain gas stations, okay? Now, in Nova Scotia, pretty much province-wide, it's the same from station to station. It's not really that different. But let me tell you something. In the GTA, greater Toronto area, where I grew up, it could be like 10 cents different just five minutes down the road. So this app, this is like a money-saving 
huge app for me to have on my phone. And I remember after I got it, showing my dad and being like, dad, look at this app. This is incredible. It has a map that tells you how expensive gas is. And I remember him being like, that's incredible technology these days, right? And I was like, it's amazing. And then he kind of looked a little bit sad. And I was like, what's wrong? He's like, well, I, I don't have an iPhone. And I was like, Dad, you have a $1,000 smartphone. Like, it may not be an iPhone, but you can download it on the App Store. And he's like, you can? And so then we found the App Store on his phone and downloaded this app. And it, to be honest with you, he was like, this is amazing. I didn't know my phone could do this. And it's kind of funny. There's a certain generation out there walking around with smartphones that can browse the internet, download apps. There's a whole world out there. And they're like, oh, I didn't know it could do that. And you're like, what do you use it for? They're like, calling people. And you're like, you use it to phone people? That's not what it's for, right? We call it a phone, but no one calls anyone anymore. You need to text if you want someone to pick up. But it's amazing to me how this giant expensive phone was being underutilized. And sometimes when it comes to our faith, we can do the exact same thing with worship. It's something that we can do with worship where if I were to ask you to define worship this morning, if I say, hey, what does worship mean to you? Probably for the vast majority of people watching this morning, you think immediately of music. It's part of the way that we've defined worship in the church. And, and whether you were raised in the church since you were in diapers or whether you were new to church and you've kind of been like looking around and going, what is worship? And then we're always talking about that kind of 20 to 30 minute segment at the beginning of services and you know the altar call at the end and we're like, oh, so worship is the music time in church. It's the Christian karaoke portion of church. But can I just say that treating worship this way is like treating a $1,000 smartphone as just a phone. There's a whole giant world of worship that God intends for us. And if we miss out on it, if all we do is see worship as the musical portion of our services, can I just say this morning, it is a waste it is actually missing out on a huge portion of the potential of what God created worship to be. And you and I this morning have the opportunity to, to learn more and to grow in what worship is and to press in and not rob ourselves of what God has intended it to be. I would suggest to you this morning that we need to redefine the way that we think about worship if we truly want to take hold of all that God has for us. One of the best ways that I've ever heard worship explained, and I was about 16 years old when I heard this, is that if you were to take the Bible from page one all the way to the last page, and you were to look for every single instance of worship that's happening and find a way to define it, the definition would look something like this, all right? Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done expressed in and by the things that we say and do. I'm gonna say that again for the people at the back, all right? Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done expressed in and by the things that we say and do. Now, when you look at that definition, it doesn't mention music, does it? It doesn't even talk about singing. There's a huge difference between that idea of worship and what we have sometimes confined worship down to being. So while singing songs on Sunday 100% is an aspect of worship, it's part of worship, to say that that's all that worship is would be like having a $1,000 smartphone where all you do is make phone calls with it. We're missing out on it. There's so much more to what worship is. In fact, it's actually a waste, and I believe it can actually be dangerous and corrosive to our faith to only see worship that way. Isaiah 43 
God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah and he says that he has formed us and made us for his glory, to bring him glory. You and I are actually made to worship God. And when we look at Adam and Eve in the garden, the first two people that God makes, he makes them and he's just created the world and he's just finished making all of creation. On the sixth day, he makes Adam and Eve and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply, subdue and fill the earth. And then God comes down in the evening and walks with Adam and Eve. He's in relationship with them. And when we look at that relationship, Adam and Eve are multiplying, they're making babies, they're farming, they're doing everything that God has told them to do. He's like, hey, that tree over there, don't eat from that one. But every other tree you can eat from, they're like, cool, God, we got it. They're responding to God for who he is and what he has done for them by the way that they are living and being obedient to what he's called them to. This is an act of worship. And you're like, but there's no singing. That's okay, because worship is not just singing. They are responding to God, and therefore, this is a perfect worship response. But then if you've read the story, you know what happens only a few pages later. There's um, the epitome of evil, the embodiment of evil through a serpent comes and talks to Eve and is like, did God really say that you would die if you eat from that tree? And she's like, no, he did. And he's like, "Mm, but would you? You're not gonna die. Surely you're not gonna die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. So you should just go and eat it because he doesn't want you to be like him. And Eve has this incredible moment where take a look at what's happening. Initially, God is on the throne of her life. God is the person that she is responding to for who he is and what he has done. But then look at the shift that happens in her heart through this conversation with the snake. She goes, well, I, I want that for myself. I, I want to be in charge. I want to define good and evil for myself. I want to be the one who, who, who is on the throne. And in a moment, The real rebellion against God is that she goes, I don't worship you anymore, I serve myself. And sin is introduced into the world. Eve places herself on her own throne, bows down to her own ambition, and instead of worshiping God, starts to worship herself, fulfill her own desires, gratify her own flesh. And sin is birthed into the world and our relationship with God is broken. And if you read on from there, it goes sideways fast, all right? The next chapter, we have a brother murdering a brother. For what? Because he had a better offering that God liked more. He's jealous and he bows down to that. He puts that on the throne instead of having God on the throne. You just read through Genesis. By the time you get to the end of the book, you're like, my gosh, like what is happening in this book? Keep going and get to Judges 19. There's a chapter that you should read and you're like, this is horrifying. How is God sticking it out with these people? They're not worshiping God at all. They're worshiping themselves. They're worshiping hatred. They're following greed. They're following slander. They're doing terrible things. And why is God sticking it out with him? Instead of living their lives, worshiping God with him on the throne, honoring him with everything that they have, they are fulfilling their own pleasure or greed or desire or hatred or whatever the case may be of selfishness. And instead of having God on the throne of their lives, they've put something else there. Instead of God being on the throne of their lives, they're bowing down and responding to something else and it is having disastrous consequences disastrous consequences. 
And maybe you're like, well, what does that have to do with us today? We're not in the Old Testament. We're not in Old Testament Israel. You know, it's not as bad as Judges 19, thank God. But so why would this be applicable to me? But really it has everything to do with you and I today. Because when God made us, when he created us, the relationship with God may have been broken at the fall, but look at this, and this is important this morning. The desire and requirement in your life to worship is still very much a part of you. Even if your relationship with God is broken, we as people have been created with an innate desire and need to worship. What that means is that even if you are not in relationship with God, whether you worship God or worship something else, whether you're an agnostic or an atheist or a full-blown Christian who is rolling in the pews right now, you are worshiping. You are a worshiper. It is how you were made. You live an extravagant life of worship. You're actually very good at it. No matter how you come at it, whether it's from a religious background or not, you are made to worship. It's something that you're very good at. But here's the question for you this morning. What is on the throne? What's on the throne of your life? And this is especially important for us to ask if we're Christians watching this this morning, because it is possible for us, even as Christians, to have something else on the throne, to be following something else. And if we take that definition of worship, where worship is our response to God, and we take God off the throne, then it turns more into worship is our response to blank for what blank is and what it can do for us. We actually start living out, expressing our lives to follow that thing and serve that thing. So if you were to look at your life, take a look at where your time, your effort, your affection, your devotion, your money, your mental energy, where is that all going? Because if you follow that trail, if you follow all of that stuff that you're doing in your life, by the time you get to the end of the trail, there is something on the throne of your life that you are living to satisfy and please and outwork in your life. For example, maybe our response is our response to, to money. Maybe we're living our life to get more money or career advancement or popularity, or maybe we're just living to actually have some sort of love in our life. And everything that we do is just to find that relationship that is going to satisfy us somewhere deep inside. And we're just trying to find a way to have that thing in our life satisfy us. See, part of the problem is that whatever it is that we do, however we define worship actually will change the way that we see this as Christians. If we see worship as the 20-minute segment that happens at the beginning of our services, then we, what we can actually do is we can come into the service and we can be like, God, I live for you. You are the one on the throne. I worship you. You are worthy. I give you all my praise. And at the end of the service, just like what Pastor Mike was talking about, if we compartmentalize that and go, well, that's done. So now it's back on to regular life. See you next week, Jesus. And what we actually do is we go, oh, you're done on the throne now. Yeah, it's back to me. It's back to my thing. It's back to my show. It's back to my fill in the blank, whatever's there. Even as Christians, if we're not careful, if we only think of worship as the 20 minutes a week, we will let something else occupy the throne of our heart for the rest of the time. So we either choose it intentionally or we let our lives choose it for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather make an intentional choice to have God on the throne because you may be sitting there thinking, well, who cares? Like, what does it matter if I want to live my life for my career or live my life for money or live my life for advancement? What, what is that to you? But can I just say this morning, this isn't about rules. This isn't about you getting pushed into something that you don't want. Whatever you worship 
is what you're betting on to bring you fulfillment and satisfaction in life. What that means is that if you are living your life for money, that means that you're expecting money to solve all your problems. And so whatever you're worshiping uh, is only gonna bring you the kind of satisfaction that it can based on what it is. In our case, as Christians, what we're hoping is that you see that the God of the Bible, the God that Jesus was talking about, who is God himself, when he came, that he was saying, there is no true good life apart from me. To save you a bunch of time, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come that they might have abundant life. What Jesus is saying is if you follow me, that is the life that I created you to have. That is where true satisfaction and true fulfillment comes from. So the reason that this matters is because if we have anything else on the throne, it's only a matter of time before it lets us down. It's only a matter of time before it disappoints us. But when we put God on the throne, when we place our faith in the God who made the heavens and the earth, who is in authority, who is seated in heaven, who has his feet up on the earth like a footstool, when we put our faith in that God, there is nothing that can shake us. We have the true life that he created us for. So the question is, What's on the throne? What is on the throne of your life this morning? You know, I love this verse that we opened with. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Um, and I love the Apostle Paul who wrote it. He's got an incredible story. If you've never read it, read through the book of Acts. He's written a large portion of the letters of the New Testament. But this book, uh, the book of Romans, is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome to help them understand and outwork their faith. Now, to give you some context, Paul's given name is actually Saul. He was a Pharisee, a Jewish Pharisee, who was persecuting Christians for their faith in Jesus. He actually was arresting and executing Christians for their belief in Jesus. And he's on his way to go and do this again. He's on the road, he's traveling, he's gonna go arrest a bunch of more Christians and bring punishment down on them. When all of a sudden he has an encounter with the risen Jesus. And on the side of the road, the people with him hear the voice of God. They hear the voice of Jesus speaking to Saul. And Saul is so taken back by the glory of God, he falls on his face, he's blinded for three days, and his life is completely changed. From that moment forward, he's not persecuting the church. He goes from persecuting the church to proclaiming the church. He goes from persecuting Jesus to proclaiming Jesus. All of a sudden, he starts writing letters. He starts going and planting churches. He becomes a weapon for the kingdom of God because he had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus. And so this letter that he writes, he, he, he is writing from a place where God is on the throne of his life and everything he does is a response to who God is and what he has done. And as he's writing this letter to the Roman church, check out what he's doing. From verse or chapter one to chapter 11, he is explaining how people have strayed away from God, how they've started putting their own selves and their own ambitions up on the pedestal in their life, up on the throne in their life. But what he then goes on to explain is that the entire time God had a plan. He goes on to explain through the entire first 11 chapters of Romans that God used the nation of Israel, that God brought forward a plan of salvation and that he brought forward Jesus. And look what he does all throughout it. He's saying, yeah, no, we fail. We, we mess up. But, but because of who God is and because of what God's done, chapter 12, 
That's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, this is who God is, and this is what God's done. And then in chapter 12, he's giving us our response. He's saying, this is who God is, this is what God's done, and therefore, that's why this starts with therefore. If you want to bring up verse 1 again, it says this, therefore, which in, it says it in the NIV, not so much in the NLT, so I'm going to read it in the NIV. It says this, therefore, therefore, what he's saying is because of all that God has done, because of who he is, because of what he has done, let us lay down our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What he's saying is, let's get off the throne. Let's get off the throne. We don't belong there. Therefore, let's respond to God. Let's put him back on the throne. And our job is now to go and get on the altar. Our job is to go put ourselves on the altar as living sacrifices. Man, we got to get off the throne. We don't belong there. We can't satisfy ourselves. We can't bring ourselves the kind of life that we need. We're not worthy of worship. The only one who is worthy of worship is God. Look at who he is. Look at what he has done. Therefore, let us lay down our lives as living sacrifices. Let's get up on the altar. Because more often than not, underneath the greed, underneath the money, underneath the career, the thing that we tend to put onto the throne is ourselves. We want to be our own gods. We want to be our own people. That's why in verse 2, he says, don't copy the behavior of this world. No, don't do that. Because the world will tell you, hey, you do you. You be your own captain. You be your own person. Be true to yourself. But what God is saying is, I actually have better for you. I have a plan for you. So you know what? Give me my throne back. I have a plan. And Paul is saying, and the, play, the way that we get to that plan is that you get on the altar. What that means is that we no longer live to serve ourselves. With everything that we do, we live to serve and respond to God from the altar. And Paul uses the rest of the book of Romans, if you want to read it from chapter 12 onward, to explain what that would look like in the church, how we're supposed to treat each other, how we're supposed to love each other, the way that we're supposed to live as Christians, what being on the altar would look like. What that means for us today is that when it comes to that coworker who just rubs you the wrong way, you know, doesn't even need to be a coworker. It could be someone from the church. It could be someone from your family. It could be your spouse. Who knows, right? But when there's that person that you're just like, I think of them and it just immediately makes me just like, have that moment where I just clench up and I just want to give them the wrath of God. But getting on the altar, saying, no, 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 because I want to respond to God for who he is and what he has done, even though that's what I want to do, I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to show them the grace of God. What it looks like is, is when, we, when it comes to serving people who can do nothing for us. See, because it's easy to serve people who can do something for you, right? It's easy to help someone move when you know they can help you move back. It's easy to help someone out with their car when they can give you something in return. But we're not talking about an exchange of goods. We're talking about what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, if someone tells you to carry their pack one mile, go to. If someone wants your coat, yeah, give me your tunic as well. Love people who, who aren't going to love you back, who can give you nothing. And you're like, but I don't want to do that. But because of who you are and because of what you've done, God, take my life. Use my life. I'm going to serve this person. I'm going to love the least of these. I'm going to carry their pack two miles when they want me to go one. When it comes to being financially generous or putting God first, we would rather buy that thing. We'd rather have the fence that's like 
much nicer. But we recognize the need and we feel God calling us to give or we know that we should be giving into our community. And so we go, God, because of who you are, because of what you've done. See, worship is not just about singing. It's actually about our entire life. Maybe it's like when we come into church, we're walking in and we're like, oh man, this song again? Oh, Matt Leto's leading worship? Man, just walk out. Maybe it's that kind of thing where you're like, I don't really feel like worshiping this morning. I don't really feel like lifting my hands. I don't really feel like singing. Well, yeah, but you're not on the altar. It's actually not about you. What it's about in that moment, the reason that we sing is so that we celebrate what God is already doing in our lives. And if we've been living out our lives as worship, we come in and we celebrate what God is doing in us and through us. We respond to God for who he is and what he is doing. And if we come into that place and maybe our heart's not entirely right, worship is a calibration of what's going on in us. That's actually why I don't have any issue with songs that mention the words me and I, songs that are about what God has done for us because we need to remind ourselves what God has done so that we respond to him in our lives. It's not selfish so long as God is getting the glory. What we actually need to do is change the way our hearts are postured to say, God, I'm on the altar, you're on the throne, let's do this thing. What's on the throne this morning? Calibration or correction? Or is it celebration? It doesn't matter. When we come together, worship is not about just us. And God in his grace will meet us there. I actually believe that tonight as we worship, as we lift up God, as we respond to him for who he is and what he's done, that the presence of God is gonna meet us, that the presence of God is gonna minister to people, that the presence of God is gonna touch people's hearts tonight. But that's not our motivation. Our motivation is to get right with God, to set our hearts on him, to remind ourselves as a community about how good God is and what he has done because he's on the throne and we're on the altar. And maybe you're like, yeah, but Matt, that's hard. I know. That's why we have this life. That's why hopefully it's long because we're not perfect. We don't always get it right. But the beauty of God is that he has grace for us as we figure it out. The beauty of God is that he's walking with us. He doesn't say, you figure it out and then finally we'll talk. No, he's in relationship with us while we're figuring it out. And he can just gently come to us and go, I think this is my throne. And we're like, oh, you're, you're right. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. And then the next day when we wake up and we're like, woo, and we sit down on that throne again and he goes, oh, you're in my seat. Oh, you're right. Sorry, God. I'm, right, I'm on the altar. I'm down there. Yeah, okay, okay. He's gracious. He's not mad. He's not angry. And that's why he's even more worthy of praise. That's why he's even more worthy of our worship. But do you know how it gets easier? Because living on the altar is hard. You got to die to your own desires. You got to die to your own ambitions. You got to live the way of Jesus. But it gets easier by discovering who God is. The reason that Paul changed, the reason he did a 180 in his life is because he met the risen Christ. He had a revelation of who God is. You know, dare, dare to say that sometimes we have better worship for Kawhi Leonard sinking a buzzer beater in game seven. We go nuts, we're hugging strangers, we're high-fiving people, we're hooting and hollering, we're honking our horn. But when we're like, hey, Jesus died on a cross so that you could live in all eternity with God and be in relationship with him, we're like, I'm just taking that in. Mmm, it's good. You ever get stuck beside that person in worship who's going, mmm, you're like, that's strange. 
But to be honest with you, hey, if you react to those kind of situations by just crossing your arms and go, oh, thank God for Kawhi Leonard. Mm, yes, Lord. Good shot. Oh, thank God my sport team won. Thank God I got that promotion. Mm. By all means, worship that way. But what that actually communicates to me is that we need to have a greater revelation of who God is and what he's done. We need to get out into creation and go, you made these rocks, you made this ocean, you made these animals, you made these forests, you made those stars, you made those galaxies. God, you are good. And what have you done? What haven't you done for me? You came for me when I was nothing. You came for me when I was worthless to you. Though my righteousness is as filthy rags, you sent your son to come and live and show me how to live and walk here on earth and give me the way to true and abundant life. And when I could do it myself because I fail all the time. You actually said, I'm going to do it for you. And you went to a cross and you died on the cross and you overcame sin and you overcame death when you rose again and you resurrected and you say that I am seated with you in heavenly places. God is good church. And there is much to be praising him for. There is much to worship him for. And if you're not excited by that, if that doesn't get you responding to him even a little bit, then we just need to go, God, show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me. You don't have a worship problem. You are made to be a worshiper. You're an excellent worshiper. We have a revelation problem if that stands in the way. And the great news is God wants to reveal himself to you. God is not distant. God is not far. He wants to be known by you and met by you. And all we need to do is ask. And so as I'm asking this question, church, I'm saying, watch the throne. Watch the throne of our lives because it'll affect the way that we live. And when we have that revelation of Jesus, that kind of worship, where it's a lifestyle, not just a 20 minute spot, that changes lives. That changes families. That changes neighborhoods. It changes cities. Church, we are called to be a people with God on the throne and ourselves on the altar. So who's on the throne this morning? And here's the great news. Maybe you're watching, you're like, oh, it's me. <laughs> I recognize it. I, I got it. I get what you're saying. How do I go forward? Here's the great news. He's as close as the mention of his name. And all we need to do is go, this, this is yours. I give you the throne. It's not my throne. I'm, I'm gonna go down there to the altar. God, reveal yourself to me. Help me respond to you. And he is gracious to do that, church. Or maybe you're watching this morning and you're like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. You know, I tuned in this morning. I was one of those people you were talking about at the beginning. And I don't really know about this God, but I do know this. The way that I've been living hasn't been working. I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for meaning. I'm, man, I'm kind of at the end of my rope. Or things are going okay, but like, to be honest, I just feel like there's something missing because you were made to worship God. You were made to be in a relationship with him. And here's the great news this morning. He loves you so much that he sent his own son to reconcile you, which means to bring you back to himself, to remove any sin. That whole thing that Eve did, that we continued to do, he erases it by the name of Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross and rose again. This morning, you can know Jesus 
You can come into that relationship with God. You can stop responding to your own self or your own way of living, and you can start responding to God and step into the fulfillment and purpose that you were made for all along. You're a great worshiper, but you can worship the one that you were made to worship and live the great life that he has planned for you. So if that's you this morning, here's what I want you to do. Right from where you are, we're just gonna pray a prayer. And you're gonna see a word come up on the screen that's just a little instruction to text the word faith to 902-903-2682. Just really easy. Because what we wanna do is we wanna connect with you. We actually wanna help you walk through what that would look like to become a Christian. And I'm gonna pray for you in a sec, but here's what I want you to do. Just from right where you are, just close your eyes. Nothing spooky, just to focus and just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I give you the throne of my life. I ask you to be in charge. I'm done living my own way. And I ask you to come into my life and help me live for you. I believe that you died for my sin and that you rose again. And so I ask that you would forgive me and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, church. I know that you're at home and you're watching this, but right from where you are, that's worth celebrating. That's worth praising God for what he's doing. People are gonna be responding to that. And we are so excited if you did respond to that. Um, we, would you just text that number? We would love to hear from you. We would love to help answer any questions you would have and help you start that journey of faith. And hey, we're gonna go back into another song of worship right here. But here's what I want. If you recognize that you're on the throne or something else is on the throne of your heart, let this be a calibration. Let this be a moment where you go, no, God, you're in charge. You're the one that I want on the throne. Help me respond to you. And if you're there, you're like, I'm good. No, I, God is on the throne of my life. Then this is a celebration. So would you stand to your feet? Would you turn up the volume? We're gonna sing another song. Be blessed, church. We'll see you guys tonight if you're registered. Love you. Have a great day.